I can recall my most embarrassing moment when I was 19 years old. You see, I had this crush on a girl, a friend of mine in college, and we spent a lot of time together, and we had a lot of mutual friends. We met at Wisdom, the, uh, the student center on UL's campus, and we spent a lot of time there. And I remember this day in particular where few of us were hanging out in between class. And you see this girl that I had a crush on, she was kind of like the life of the party. She had a great personality. She was always laughing and having a good time and just really fun to be around. And some would maybe claim that she was a bit overdramatic. Well, she saw her friend um, enter the student center And maybe it's, I guess, something that girls do, you know, they hadn't seen each other for at least a couple hours, so they were really, really excited. They were celebrating each other because they were so excited to see each other, and they start running towards each other in order to embrace and to celebrate their time together. And in the interest of flirting, I thought that it would probably be a good idea to stick out my foot... Boys, don't do this. It was a terrible decision that I made in the heat of the moment. You know, you just do things without thinking sometimes. And she tripped over that foot, fell, and broke her arm. Yes, so we never dated, by the way. It didn't work out. (laughs) Y'all, y'all don't understand how much shame I felt. Oh my goodness. To this day, the most embarrassing moment because how embarrassing? What was I thinking? I wasn't thinking. That was the situation. And she handled it like a champ. She actually was laughing, believe it or not. And, uh, but I was the one literally in tears. I was so embarrassed. I was so ashamed. And even worse, for, you know, the next few weeks, as she's wearing a cast on her arm, all, you know, during, inside the student center, people would ask, well, what happened? Yeah, so, you know, even more embarrassment for weeks and weeks. So we all know how shame feels. It eats us alive. Shame is not fun. And we experience shame in all kinds of ways, sometimes by doing something dumb like that. But more often, we experience shame whenever we sin, especially whenever we sin in a big way. And we experience a healthy sense of shame, probably, that will lead us to conversion, that will lead us to repentance and to go back to God. That's a healthy sense of shame. That's really a gift. It's a grace. We should be grateful for that, and it brings us back to the Lord. But we also experience an unhealthy sense of shame. And that unhealthy sense of shame eats us alive. It tears us apart. Sometimes that can be manifested in different ways. For some, it will manifest itself through a sense of insecurity. Because of past sins or because of past trauma or or whatever our source of shame We'll just be incredibly insecure. We're always unsure about ourselves. We're not comfortable in our own skin. And for others, they experience shame 
with a sense of discouragement, maybe depression, maybe despair, a sense of heaviness. For some, they experience shame or they manifest their shame with a life of indulgence. They'll indulge in, um, they'll, they'll overindulge in sins, um, well, I'm not saying that right. They'll overindulge in food or in sex or alcohol or drugs. They, they, they try to medicate their pain, their shame with these sins of pleasure. But then others will medicate or manifest their shame with more hidden sins. Sins maybe of bitterness or Sins of anger, sins of being overly critical and negative, or perhaps sin, the sin of having no mercy, having no compassion at all for the weaknesses, failings, and mistakes of others. And all of these things very often are connected to a deeper sense of shame that we feel. And it's important for us to not only treat the symptom of these sins, but also the cause, the sickness deeper within, namely the shame. And today we see this experience of shame and how it can be manifested so vividly in the gospel. And today's gospel is really just the best. It's the best, I think, of the whole year. This is a, perhaps the most well-known of all of Jesus' parables. Today's gospel, in very many ways, summarizes all of Scripture. It summarizes the good news of Jesus Christ, all in one story. It's the story of the prodigal son. We, hear, we perhaps have heard this before, where we have the young son who asks for his inheritance ahead of time, and he goes off to a far distant country. He makes some bad decisions, a life of indulgence. He finds himself down in the dumps, has a conversion comes back to the father to ask for forgiveness. And on his way back, he sees that his father was already waiting for him. And his father begins running towards him in order to embrace him and to kiss him and to put sandals on his feet. He celebrates his return before the son could even give his rehearsed, prepared speech. And he prepares a banquet for him to celebrate the return of his son who is lost and has now been found. And we also hear of the older brother who's jealous. He's angry. He says, this doesn't make sense. Why would you do such a thing? I don't understand how your son, my brother, can just sin terribly, embarrass the family name, disown us, basically, and you're going to be happy about it? How does that match up? And the father turns to him and says, My son, everything I have is yours. Today, we're celebrating his return. We don't need to focus on his mistakes. But you too are my son, and you belong in this feast as well. And what's important for us to see is that the father is abundant in his mercy for both. For both sons. So which son... Do you identify with most today? Do you identify 
with the son who struggles with the sins of greed and indulgence or maybe discouragement and depression? Do you identify with the son who's externally very far from the father? Or perhaps maybe you identify with the older son. The son who is externally very close to the father, but yet internally still very distant, poisoned with sin, anger, bitterness, comparison, judgmentalism, no compassion. I know in my own life, I can see both sons in my story. Very often in my own life, I've gone back and forth between the two sons. There have been times in my past that I've made decisions and committed sins that I was deeply ashamed of and so embarrassed and afraid to go to confession because I was fear what the priest might think of me. I was afraid of how he might look at me differently. I didn't even want to say out loud what I had done. And there was other times in my life where I identify with the older son, where although externally doing all the right things, going to church, saying my prayers, serving in ministry, still poisoned with sin, still finding myself with evil thoughts, finding myself judging others, finding myself filled with pride, vanity, and envy. I can really see at different times in my life, both sons identifying very closely with myself. But the good news about this story is that it's less about the sons and more about the father. The father who saw his young son in the distance and ran towards him at the first sight of conversion. As soon as the younger son opened his heart, the father comes rushing in. And even the older son, who doesn't even want to come to the party, the father pleads and begs him to come and join us. The father is patient with you and I. The father is abundant in his mercy, no matter how much we sin. St. Paul says in Romans 3.23, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. St. Paul reminds us, you and me, we are all sinful. We all mess up. Even right now as we sit in this church, we're all filled with sin. But St. Paul continues with the good news. He says that we are justified by the gift of grace, which comes through Jesus Christ and is received by faith. St. Paul tells us the good news is that we can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus, that the Father's mercy can never be outdone by our sins. There's nothing that we can do that's too far from his love. But the Father will never force himself on us. He respects our freedom, our choices. And so he anxiously awaits our repentance, our choice to come back to him. But as soon as we do, he rushes in. He's ready for us to come home. I know that a lot of people 
hesitate to go to confession. I have conversations with people, um, you know, throughout the years, and there's all kinds of reasons why people might hesitate to go to the sacrament of confession. And I've noticed that there are three reasons in particular that are perhaps most common, at least in my own experience. There's three reasons that people give me that are most common. The first reason why people might be hesitant to come to the sacrament of confession is because they feel like they don't know what to do. They say, I don't know how. They're nervous that even if they do kind of know how, that once they get in there, they're going to forget what to do. So for those people, what I'd say is that you have two things in your favor. Google and the priest. But seriously, Google, y'all, I mean, like, there's a structure, and it's not that hard. You can find it online. Print it out. Bring it with you. Priests usually get excited when you have something to bring with you in confession. It helps people be at ease. Bring that with you and go through it. And the priest is also there to help. I can't speak for every priest, but for most priests, including myself, we are excited to help you whenever you need it. So just simply tell us. Say, hey, it's been a while. I'm kind of nervous. I don't remember how this goes, so you might need to walk me through it. Great. The second reason that I've heard why people are sometimes hesitant to go to confession it's because they say they're afraid the priest is going to judge them. Father's going to look at me differently. Oh, no, Father's been to my house before. I can't tell him what I've done. I'm a lector. I'm a Eucharistic minister. I'm a greeter. I, I serve on the youth ministry team. There's no way that I would be able to um, say out loud for the priest my sins. I'm too afraid. He's going to judge me. So to those people, what I would say is that I understand. I feel that too. I have to go to confession as well. Priests sin too, and we go to confession often. I try to go to confession once every two weeks, if not sooner. And I know I've experienced, I've been doing this for over 15 years now. And I, I've, I've had unpleasant experiences in the confessional. I know how uncomfortable it can be to prepare yourself, how inconvenient it could be to look up the confession times, to actually get in your car and to go to confession. I've experienced that. And I can't speak for every priest, but at least in my own life, because I've had to come face to face with my own sinfulness and face to face with my own shame, I know what it's like to not enjoy the sacrament. And therefore, this becomes a source of mercy in the confessional. That at least for myself, I try to be as gentle as possible and try to make the confessional a place of victory, a place of newness rather than a place of judgment, rather than a place to be remembered, to get cliche advice, and to be fussed at. I, for one, try to make the confessional 
a place where you can tangibly hear the heart of the Father, to hear his voice say, you are forgiven, go in peace. And so you know a priest by its fruits. If you are nervous about going to confession with a particular priest, consider, is there another priest that you feel more comfortable with? It doesn't have to be me, but you should go should go to receive that mercy. The good news is that even if you happen to have an an uncomfortable experience, even if the priest says something that, you know, makes you feel a little judged, um, he shouldn't, and that usually doesn't happen. But even if it does, you're still forgiven. And then you don't have to go back to that priest. You can go to a different one for now on. But it still works. The sacrament works. You're forgiven, you're at peace, and you can go forward. The third reason that I've heard why people are afraid to go to confession or at least hesitant to go to confession is because they say, well, they don't say this, but what I, what I get in the conversation is that they're too ashamed to admit that they have sinned. I've noticed a lot of people would prefer to convince themselves that they really haven't even sinned or that their sins really aren't that big of a deal, that they're just small sins. And they don't really need to go to confession for it. But shame is real. And sometimes we're just too afraid to face that shame. And we'd rather just keep it buried. We'd rather not acknowledge it. We'd rather not say it out loud, especially to ourselves. And this keeps people from the confessional. And to those people, what I'd say is that Satan works in darkness. Satan loves to keep things hidden. And he loves to eat us alive with that shame. And it manifests itself with all of its ugly heads, like I mentioned at the beginning of this homily. Shame is not something we want to continue living with. We do not have to be victim forever. We can be set free. Jesus is the light of the world, and his light shatters our darkness. And the way to healing and freedom is to bring our sins to light so that we can be set free so that we can hear the voice of the Father say that we're forgiven. If you feel burdened by shame, or if you feel distant from the Lord, or perhaps you can tell that you yourself have no compassion for others, I want you to know that the Father is ready for you. He says, Everything I have is yours, and he desires to celebrate your return. The Father desires that you go to confession, that you hear his voice tangibly through this sacrament. When Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, John chapter 20, verse 21, he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. Upon the apostles, the future bishops and priests of the church, he breathed on them the Holy Spirit, and he says, whose sins you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you retain are retained. I have a good friend who is a psychologist, and he meets with a lot of people one-on-one um, and with counseling, and he's told me before, he says, I get it 100%. I see why God made it this way. I know why he instituted this sacrament, because he sees as a counselor how much good it does to the people that go to confession. He says that there is nothing that compares for someone's emotional health 
than to know for a fact that their sins are forgiven. And if that's true, consider how much more true that would be for our spiritual health. We need to hear the voice of the Father. I've even seen in sometimes non-Catholic churches, they, they create opportunities for people to confess their sins to one another and to pray about it together. Like, there's still some, it baffles me, like, there's a human need for us to hear the words of forgiveness. I know a lot of people say, I, I can just go to God, I go straight to God. And I just, I'm not convinced that that's not, that that's enough for us. I believe that our shame remains when we just go to God. But whenever we hear the audible words from the priest in the confessional, you are forgiven, go in peace, it begins a process of healing. And the priest is not there to judge. The priest is a sinful man too. And the priest desires only to celebrate your return as the compassionate father in today's parable. What's keeping you from confession? If it's been a while, if it's been a few years, if you're too embarrassed because it's been too many years, be not afraid. Why not make this Lent the year that you come back? Why not make this Lent the time for a new beginning? Why not start a process of healing and freedom in your own life to be set free? There's all kinds of times at St. Leo to go to confession and even within a five, 10 mile radius. There's so many churches and so many priests in our diocese. Good priests ready to celebrate your return. What's important is that we See the Father for who He is, the compassionate Father with abundant mercy. His power is made perfect in our weakness, and He's delighted whenever we come to Him in humble confidence. Amen.